from the Gert Boyle studio at OPB, this is Think Out Loud. I'm Dave Miller. From humpbacks to orcas, whales and dolphins are renowned for their underwater vocalizations, whether it's to impress a mate, to find prey, or to strengthen social bonds. Beluga whales are especially vocal. Their complex language of whistles, chirps, and rhythmic calls have led them to be called the canaries of the sea. For the first time, a team of scientists has documented the unique vocalizations of Cook Inlet belugas, a critically endangered population in Alaska. And the scientists have learned more about just how disruptive human sounds, especially those from commercial shipping, can be. Ariel Brewer is a PhD student in the School of Aquatic and Fishery Sciences at the University of Washington. She is the lead author of the new study, and she joins us now. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for joining us. How did you become interested in belugas in particular? Um, that's a great question. I was, um, I've always been really interested in marine mammals from a young age, um, and particularly, um, I guess their communication and kind of their um, their societies. And so, um, I had I've worked on um, kind of a wide range of marine mammals and started working on belugas in 2017. Um, at a position with NOAA, the uh, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration here in Seattle. Um, and kind of, I never thought I'd get to work on belugas, but kind of got to dive in. And um, it's just been fascinating ever since starting with them. How much was known about their vocalizations compared to other marine mammals? Um, so, um Kind of, I think when you hear about belugas, a lot of people have heard to them, like you said, the canaries of the sea. And when you listen to them, you'll know why they're very um, kind of bird-like sounding. You know, a lot of people are familiar with with humpback song or maybe with killer whale calls or kind of the 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 kind of uh, high-pitched whistles and buzzes of dolphins. Um, Belugas sound very different. They sound, um, I always like to tell people, they sound kind of a mix between aliens and birds. Um and so um, kind of, you know, um, hundreds of years ago, mariners would hear them through the hull of their boat. Um, and they would that's uh, kind of what gave them the name Canaries of the Sea, because they sounded like birds um, kind of singing below the below the surface of the water. Um, and so they're really interesting because they produce a really, really complex, wide range of calls. Um and they do a really interesting thing called gradation, where they can uh, kind of um, turn certain calls into other ones along a continuum without a break. Um, and so I kind of like to describe this as like if I were able to whistle, then say my name, then laugh, then whistle again, all without taking a breath. Um, and there's some other uh, marine mammals that can do that, um, but but not a ton. And so it's... Um, that kind of gradation ability um, allows them to produce really a wide range of calls. Let's have a listen to one of the recordings you made, and then you can tell us about what it is we've just heard. Let's have a listen. Sure. So there's a, a lot of sounds all at once there. Uh, yeah, there's a lot is, going on there. <laughs> what is going on? 
Um, so that is multiple whales calling together. Um, we don't unfortunately have the number because we were passive, um, passively listening with an acoustic recorder. But I like that clip because it um, shows kind of the range. And also um, they, they make three broad categories of calls, whistles, pulse calls, and combined calls. And combined calls are a combination of whistle and pulse calls together simultaneously. And I like that clip because there's all three of those categories in there. Um, there's a lot of different call types within those categories happening, but you can hear kind of the range of calls they can make. Hmm. Your study, as I noted briefly in my intro, it was the first one to document the unique vocalizations of one very specific population of belugas, Cook Inlet beluga whales. What are the challenges of studying this population? Um, you know, this population is tricky. Um, like all kind of Arctic and subarctic marine mammals, it's remote. It's really hard to access throughout most of the year other than summer. Um, Cook Inlet in particular is very turbid. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of glacial runoff. And so the water is very murky. Um, so it's hard to kind of see these whales and you can't see them underwater. Um, and also these whales were hunted um by native communities for subsistence purposes um, until the late 1990s. And so these whales are very skittish of boats. They're very skittish of people. So it's really hard to get close to them. Um, and there's only about 300 left. So it's it's really can be, you know, quite hard to find these whales sometimes. Um, and so I think that all of those factors combined with kind of a harsh environment um, makes them pretty difficult to, to study. And so that's kind of why we've implemented using uh, passive acoustic monitoring, because we can we can place acoustic recorders all over the inlet and kind of eavesdrop on their world without actually having to physically be there year round. Oh, and, and without having to, uh, say, put a microphone, strap a microphone on them the way scientists have been able to do, I think, for orcas, right? Correct. Yeah, we can. Um, passive acoustic monitoring is nice because it doesn't it doesn't interfere with their behavior. Um, but it also it is limiting because when we when we can tag the whales, like you mentioned with killer whales, um, we get a really good sense of what's happening at that whale. Um, and how many whales are around. Um, with passive acoustic monitoring, I kind of like to think of it as like our eyes are closed, but our ears are open. So we don't know exactly how many animals are around. We don't know kind of the um, the age classes of animals that are around, but we, we get a sense of their acoustic environment. So what they're hearing um, as far as like human-caused noise, ice, um, uh, seals in the area. So we get like an acoustic picture of what they're hearing. What were the biggest findings in your mind from your study? Multi-year study listening to to the sounds they were making and the sounds they were being exposed to. What were the biggest findings? Um, let's see. I in terms of their their calls, we found um, kind of a really rich, unique, and wide range of repertoire, which was really exciting. Um, we found differences. So I, I sampled two locations, uh, Susitna River, kind of at the northern end of Cook Inlet, which is their, their kind of their prime summer, uh, summer habitat for feeding on salmon. And then in the winter, they kind of get pushed down by sea ice and we sampled Trading Bay. Um, and so I found that those two locations have significantly different uh, call use patterns. So they're using different call types um, in those areas. Um, so that was really interesting. And then as far as the noise, um, 
we we knew that um, uh, human caused noise or anthropogenic noise is a problem in this area, but we've never been able to kind of quantify how big of a problem it is to them. And so we took the most commonly used calls that they emit and we um, ran an analysis compared to ship noise. And we found that all seven of the calls we used were completely masked when ship noise is close or loud. And so that was a really um, kind of compelling result. It was really, really interesting to see. Obviously that's not a good result for the whales. Ideally their calls would not be masked by the noise, but being able to find that they were completely masked by the noise um, can help us kind of try to further understand this and try to mitigate some of those actions down the road. So their calls could be completely masked um, by a ship that was close. How often mm-hmm. does that happen? I mean, can you give us a sense for for the, the habitat of these whales and and how frequent, you know, commercial ships are and 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 even the other things that the other human caused things that are making noise ex- exactly where these whales live. Sure. So um, the the area we did this was that um, kind of that main critical habitat for them. If if anyone happens to look on a map, it's called Big Susitna River. Um, and that is the kind of right in the center of their critical habitat. And it's also um, about two kilometers away from the commercial shipping lane. And it's, it's also really close to oil and gas rigs, um, which make noise. It's close to the international airport. Um, and it's close to uh, a large military base. And so there's a lot of noise in this area. Those are kind of the big things, but there's also, um, there's not a commercial whale watch industry up there, but there's a lot of um, private and commercial fishing boats that that kind of zip around. There's, there, uh, you know, the Port of Alaska is constantly kind of trying to um, uh, enhance their infrastructure. So there's a lot of pile driving that makes a lot of noise. So unfortunately, kind of the main area where they live is really, really loud. And so these whales are exposed to it year round. Um, and so just kind of getting a better sense of that and how we can, how we can kind of, um, try to mitigate that a bit is kind of our goal. Um, but yeah, the, unfortunately, these whales don't really get a break in the noise, unfortunately, and they don't migrate out of Cook Inlet. So they're they're kind of exposed to it year round. Hmm. But you found that even if a ship is 10 miles away from a whale, it can still, if not completely mask, it could still disrupt communication. I mean, the, the sense I got is that is that these whales are always at least being disturbed by human noises and sometimes being truly uh, in a kind of communications blackout mm-hmm. auditorially. I mean, is, is that a fair way to put it, that, that, that they can never escape human noise? Um, yeah. So in the kind of winter, early spring, sea ice kind of pushes them down into the mid and lower inlet. Um, there's definitely anthropogenic noise there, but not as much. So they they can kind of um, go down into the lower inlet, but also, you know, there's killer whales down there. Killer whales um, will predate on belugas. And there's also not as much, um, that's not, you know, where their mi- their main feeding rivers are. So, um, so it's kind of this like balance of they need to be in the areas where they're able to feed and breed and calf. Um, and also protect themselves from killer whales, but also, you know, those are the areas that are the noisiest. So 
Um, yeah, it's it's a really it's a really complex problem because you know Anchorage is a really important hub for the entire state. That's that's where the entire state gets its goods, um, and you know m- the military base there is um, you know it's important. And so it's it's a really complex problem. And as a scientist, I'm I'm not you know. I'm not sure which way the managers and the decision makers will go, but this is kind of an ongoing problem for these animals. And yeah, communication blackout is, um, I think, a good way to put it. I kind of like to equate it to like a really loud rock concert. So, um, you know, it's like these whales are kind of at a extremely loud rock concert all the time and they're not able to communicate uh, fully, like if me and you were talking, you'd be able to tell I was talking to you, but you probably wouldn't be able to hear what I was saying. And so that's kind of the same with, especially with mothers and calves that are trying to communicate and stay close to each other. That disruption of communication and contact can be really problematic for these these whales. I mean, and it's also worth, I mean, if we're going to stick with that metaphor of being at a rock concert, not being able to communicate um, using sound, I, isn't it the case that the, the other important point here is that sound is the main way they communicate. So it, it's almost like humans being at a rock, humans who who are sighted being at a rock concert where they can't hear each other, but they also can't see each other. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, these animals, they, you know, they can see, but like I mentioned, the water's really turbid. So vision is kind of, kind of useless. Um, and so, yeah, um, these, these, this population and other uh, beluga populations really rely on sound. Um, that's kind of their primary modality for not only keeping in, t- in touch with each other, but also um, being able to find prey. And so that disruption um, can cause a lot of different effects um, across like social cohesion and feeding and being able to detect predators. So yeah, it's really, um, that's a good way to put it. It's kind of like we're blind. Let's have a listen to um, another of the recordings you made. This is not a whale. This is the, the sound that, that's that's disrupting. This is a commercial ship from an underwater microphone. Yeah, not a not a fun sound to hear all the time. Um. You've listened to thousands of hours of recordings of these, the sounds that these beluga whales make. What has that been like, just sitting there with headphones on or speakers, listening to these mammals, these animals that are so much like us evolutionarily, mm-hmm. that are also huge and live in yeah. freezing cold <laughs> waters? Yeah, it's it's just really interesting. I um. I've always been really fascinated with kind of the soundscape of the ocean. And because marine mammals, uh, you know, all marine mammals, even seals and sea lions um, are vocal. And so just kind of, it's kind of like a way to eavesdrop into their world without um, affecting their behavior or disturbing them. And so um, this repertoire project was really interesting. It is, it is like you said, very tedious, (laughs) very tedious work. But it's, you know, every time I would find a new call type, it was just fascinating because we don't know the context of of their call types. And so every time I would find one, it was just interesting to think about which which whale is making this call and what are they, what's the context in which they're doing it? Is that a calf making that call? So um, it was just, I don't know, it's kind of 
kind of like a little treasure hunt, I guess. Every time you find a new call, it's kind of a, a cool little piece of treasure that that we get to add to our uh, little piece of knowledge and kind of down the road, maybe figure out what these calls mean. Hmm. Let's have a listen to one more call. This is a short call that we've looped so people can hear a couple examples of it in a few seconds. So if if you're in a sense just, if you're lacking so much information about what's happening in, in an individual whale's life when they're making a call, are you ever able to say, you know, this sound means this thing? So that's what I'm actually working on right now in a project I'm really excited about. Um, I'm um, collaborating with a really wonderful team of conservation biologists that actually work on the military base. Um, and so they do behavioral observations of the whales when they're in this area, and they get really fine-scale details. They get the number of whales, they get how many calves, juveniles, adults, the behavior, what the tide is doing. And so they've been wonderful and have allowed me to put acoustic recorders um, where they're observing. And so for the first time for this population, we kind of have a paired behavioral and acoustic data set. And um, that's kind of what I'm trying to figure out is, you know, when are they making these types of calls? What's the context? And I have some um, pretty interesting preliminary results I can share. So one thing that I've found that was really fascinating was um, the combined calls that I mentioned earlier. So it's basically when they make a whistle, like you guys just heard, and a pulsed call together. Um, and and to kind of give an idea of what that would be like, that would be like if I could say my name and whistle at the exact same time, which I definitely cannot do. <laughs> um, and so these combined calls were the rarest of the repertoire. I only they only made up about one percent of the repertoire, but other studies. Um, in other populations, scientists have hypothesized that these may be contact calls. Um, so we're not sure if it's at the level of the individual or a group, but kind of a, a contact cohesion call to keep animals together and to maybe show identity. Um, and so finding these calls in particular was really fascinating because they're rare. Um, and I found about 20 different unique contact call or combined calls at this point. And so what I found in this new research that I'm working on right now is that they only make these combined calls when calves are present. And so that's that's really interesting and kind of um, supports the idea that these might be kind of mother calf contact calls. Um, so yeah, stay tuned. We're hoping to get this work published uh, later this year. But I thought that was a really interesting result. And just before we go, what do you hope policymakers will do with your research? Um, I really hope that you know. I don't know if if mitigation or change will happen because of our study. Usually several studies um, are, are needed. Um, but one thing that um, I live in Seattle, one thing where the Port of Seattle and the Port of Vancouver are currently doing for the, the Southern resident killer whales here are they're doing a voluntary slowdown program where they decrease the speed of the commercial vessels, which decreases the amplitude of the noise. And so, um, you know, that could be something that the Port of Anchorage uh, might be willing to do is just slow down the vessels when they're coming in and out to decrease the noise. Um, so I'm hoping that at least the study will lead to conversations about how we can try to mitigate this impact. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of up to the managers and the, the stakeholders, but I'm hoping it at least, at least leads to conversations in the right direction. 
Ariel Brewer, thanks very much. Thank you guys so much. Ariel Brewer is a PhD student in the School of Aquatic and Fishery Sciences at the University of Washington, the lead author of a new study looking at the vocalizations of the Cook Inlet beluga whales as well as the shipping noise uh, that they are being impacted by.